Well, good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter. We're going to begin a new study uh, today. And those of you who have been around, we did uh, 1 Peter, I think, uh, in the fall. And uh, so I thought it would be good for us to look at both ends of this, of Peter's writings here. Um, I've told this story a little bit off and on just because it was impactful to me here recently, but I want to tell it again, um, and I I have a point, uh, I hope. Um, Towards the, uh, after Christmas, uh, I got a book from a friend of mine, Jess Strickland, some of you know him, he pastors over in Aloha, Beaverton area, and uh, he grew up in this church, actually, as as a young boy, his dad was a deacon here many, many years ago, and uh, he, uh, he wrote a book, and it's something their church has been using for a while online, and then he kind of put it into book form. And it was a 21-day devotional, and it, it focuses quite a bit on fasting or what we're giving up and what we're taking in. And so he sent it with a very nice note uh, to my wife and I. Uh, can you turn me down a little bit? I have a little bit of a ring up here. Thanks. Um, he sent it uh, with a note for my wife and I, a very nice note, and uh, I just... Uh, um, Janine happened to come by, and I said, hey, Jess, give us this book, and I wrote a nice note, you should read it, and uh, I said, why don't you take it home so it doesn't, you know, get stuck here in my shelves, and uh, woke up on New Year's Day, uh, January 1st, and my wife says to me, uh, I read chapter one, oh, okay, we're doing this thing, and uh, so we started in on this 21-day journey, and uh, it was very impactful. Um, I consider myself pretty disciplined in prayer and scripture reading. Uh, fasting is something I have done from time to time, uh, but never very effectively or meaningfully. Uh, and this, this book had a just profound impact on me. And um, actually um, talked with Pastor Rich, and uh, we are going to encourage us to do it as a church 21 days leading up to Easter. And I'm really excited about that. So Pastor Rich is going through it right now. And uh, it's fun because I know, I know what he's, the different steps and I get to walk through that. But, uh, you know, when people ask, you know, what was impactful, there's a lot of different things. There was chapters on forgiveness and not grumbling, fasting from grumbling. That was a good, that was, a, that was very meaningful. Um, and all sorts of things like that. Um, but I, I said, uh, um, and, and Rich has said the same thing, and he's only, I think, a week in. I, we both kind of used the phrase, it was like hitting a reset button. Um, and that was just really meaningful, that idea of just kind of getting rid of some things, just kind of resetting. At the end of Second Peter, we're going to kind of flip through the pages for the first uh, five minutes or so, kind of give an overview. So let's look at the end. It's always good to look at the end uh, to know where this is going to end up. Peter says this in the last two verses, verses 17 And 18, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And uh, I love that picture of stability and growth. And so on the front of your bulletin, there's a picture there of a roller coaster. And uh, that's not what we want with our faith. Uh, We don't want this roller coaster ride. Now, some of you are going, you know, I like roller coasters. And you know what? Um, Roller coasters are fun for a time. 
Um, but, you know, I don't know when the last time you went to an amusement park, and those of you who are, are getting older, you know this, your body begins to change. And uh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't ride roller coasters the same as it did when you were younger. And, uh, you know, last time we went with our kids to Disneyland, which was years ago, uh, you, you get back from the park, and you sit down, and your body is still moving in some weird way. And um, it's, it's fun for a season, but it's not fun for a lifetime. And we want stability. And so uh, Peter wants that for us. So we're talking about a firm foundation. Um, I was reading a book, another book recently, those of you who know me, I'm constantly reading. And one of the books mentioned one of the churches in this town, and so I just happened to look it up. I was curious, uh, and I looked it up, and they had a nice little video at the beginning of, of their uh, website, and it talked about their service, and I, I, I probably would love this church. I'm not trying to speak badly about it. It just made me think. They said, uh, we don't want to say anything on Sunday morning. We don't want any of our teaching on Sunday morning that you won't use on Monday morning. And I said, well, I, yeah, that's true. But there's something about building a foundation for things that we may not need to use on Monday. It might be one month from now or two years from now. And so I hope that we're building a strong foundation on Sunday morning. And so uh, let's just do a flyover of the entire book and then we're going to dig in. Uh, In chapter one, uh, Peter is giving a challenge to uh, those he is writing to. And specifically, if you skip down to verse 12 in chapter 1, still getting a pretty sharp ring up here for me. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Therefore, I I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in truth, that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter knows that he is coming to the end. Specifically, historically, we believe that Peter was martyred. Uh, Tradition has it that uh, he did not feel that he was worthy to die in the same way as his Lord, uh, by way of crucifixion, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Um, But Peter, whether that's true or it's just uh, folklore, that's traditionally, but Peter was martyred for his faith. He knows when he is writing 2 Peter that that day is approaching quickly. And so by way of reminder, he wants to challenge us to grow in Christ. I have a different Bible up here. This is the Bible that I mark and color and do all this stuff. It's not necessarily my preaching Bible. Um, But I had to bring it up here because I've got all this kind of marked in here. And and you can't, you know, it depends on your version. But in chapter 2, he mentions uh, the knowledge of God. In chapter 3, he mentions the knowledge of him. Excuse me, in in verse uh, 3. In in verse 5, he wants us to grow in knowledge. Verse 6, repeating that word knowledge. In verse 8, unfruitful in the knowledge if you're not growing. And and then in verse 20, knowing this. And he mentions knowledge twice in chapter 2 and twice in chapter 3. He wants us to grow in what we know. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. In chapter 2, one of the reasons why he wants us to grow in this knowledge is because he wants to warn us of some false teachers. 
And it's really interesting. Uh, chapter 2 of 2 Peter and the book of Jude uh, are very, very similar. In fact, some people uh, in the early church wanted to throw the book of 2 Peter out, saying it just looks like it's a bunch of borrowed stuff. And uh, I'm not going to take time to argue why I believe this should be in the canon of, of Scripture, um, but I, I do think that, that Peter is borrowing heavily on other things that are being taught. There's nothing wrong with that. Pastors, you know, do that all the time. And uh, another reason why people struggled with uh, some of 2 Peter, and we're going to talk about this uh, in a few weeks, is that the Greek level, and especially 1 Peter, doesn't seem like it's the uh, fishermen who grew up speaking Aramaic would write. And so Peter had a scribe. Guess what? So did Paul. So did Jeremiah. I mean, many of them did. And so Peter gave him the words, and he kind of he doctored up a little bit here and made it, made it nicer Greek. And so we are going to talk about the Word of God and how that came about at the end of chapter 1 and at the end of uh, chapter 3. And so these false teachers are coming in, and Peter's warning us of their distorted way of life, uh, their distorted application of grace. Uh, very interesting at the chap end of chapter 2, verse 17, it talks about their distortion of grace. And in the end of chapter 3, he's talking about how they distort Paul's writing. Many commentators are thinking these two things are connected, that specifically the way that they're distorting Paul's writing is by making grace uh, a little too free. And then uh, they distort, they had distorted views on God. If you look at chapter 3, uh, they, they deliberately overlook the fact, verse 5, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water. And, and so this idea that they just really don't understand God. And then Peter ends with the talk of the day of the Lord. So we're going to talk about growing in our faith. We're going to talk about the word of God. We're going to talk about false teachers and how to identify them and uh, having a right view of God and then the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, looking at chapter one, we're going to look at the first uh, four, uh, 15 verses and uh, we're going to do that over two weeks. That's a lot there. And so we're going to cover this week uh, uh, who we are in Christ and uh, what prompted Peter to write this letter, looking at verses 12 in the end. We're going to come back next week, look at that, those middle portions, and talk about how we grow in Christ. So let's look at growing in Christ. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours 
and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never, you will never fall. For in the same way, uh, there, there will be rich, uh, they will be richly provided for you as an inheritance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able uh, at any time to recall these things. Let's look at uh, this morning who we are in Christ and what prompted Peter to write this letter. First, away, first of all, by introduction, right? This is uh, Simon Peter, the uh, apostle, a disciple of Jesus, and he defines himself as, first of all, a servant. Uh, a servant of Christ. Uh, he doesn't say here, you know, uh, let me start. And just those of you uh, maybe who are newer to the Bible, the Bible uh, it starts the uh, introduction, you know, where we would put at the end, sincerely yours. In these letters, the sincerely yours started at the top. Okay, that's the introduction. Who, who wrote it? So, so he doesn't say, you know, sincerely yours, Dr. Peter, or, you know, he doesn't say the apostle, the disciple of Jesus. He says servant, the servant of Jesus and apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think order matters here, a servant and apostle. The word apostle basically means sent out. So he says, I'm a servant and I've been sent out by Jesus Christ. So the, the, the word apostle can mean sent out and it can also mean a title of those who saw Jesus Christ were witness of his ministry. And I, I think Peter here is playing on the word and he's saying, look, I'm a servant and I've been sent out for Jesus Christ. And I, I think there's a real humility in the introduction of this. And I think the reason for the humility we're going to get at in just a little bit um, is very personal. And, um, and I appreciate that about the, this letter. I think there's a, a very... A humble and realistic approach to the Christian life in 2 Peter. So order matters here. He's a servant, and then he's sent out by Christ. Now, Peter's recipients. Now, first of all, he doesn't really identify a specific group of people. And I would say they're the same recipients that he had in 1 Peter, the elect exiles that have been dispersed through this whole area of, of Galatia and, and Asia and all this area. So he's writing to a broad group of people, but that's not how he defines them here. Here he defines them as to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So those who have obtained a faith. How do we obtain a faith? It's a, it what didn't come in the mail. Okay, it, it it wasn't by a set of classes or becoming a member of a church. How did they obtain a faith? 
Well, he says there, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And then down in verse 3, he says, this divine power granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. He keeps using this word knowledge. So one way we obtain the faith is knowledge. And I, 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 I just want to say this word doesn't mean what you think it means in this sense. Okay? When we think of knowledge in our culture, we just think of book smarts so often. Now, book smarts are great. But I've known some people that have extreme book smarts. But honestly, I wonder how they tie their shoes in the morning. I mean, man. Uh, my daughter is in a, a class at uh, Portland State right now, and she's in this philosophy class, and she keeps saying, Dad, I'm sure the guy is really smart, but he doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And uh, there's just a point in, in knowledge being uh, so important in our culture. But think here more of wisdom. Wisdom is more the application of knowledge. Or think of the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. And so knowledge, I think more from Peter's point of view, is what you know and what you practice. Okay? So knowledge is the idea of I know it and I'm putting it into practice. I'm, I'm living this out. And so you may know Jesus, you may know of grace, you may have heard of the resurrection and his death, and, and you may have heard of godliness, but if you're not doing it, you don't really know it in that sense. Okay, just because you can answer questions uh, and the Bible questions in Jeopardy, when we watch that show, that's always my, ooh, good, we have Bible ones. I have a chance. Okay, um, just because you can answer the questions, just because you can buzz in, doesn't mean it's real for you. So how is the knowledge applied? Now, what just amazed me, this, this introduction just, it just punches you in the face in such a wonderful way. To those who have obtained a faith, what does he say? Of equal standing with ours. Equal to who? The apostles. He is saying, your faith, church, listen, your faith is of equal standing to the apostles. I don't, I don't, we, we think of being kind of second class, you know, down the road quite a bit. And in ending, Peter, don't think that you need me. Your faith is equal standing with mine. Don't put us in a special category. You have a faith. And he's going to describe why that faith is so incredible here in the next few verses. And then his blessing, very simple, may, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. As, you. as you grow in this knowledge of God and who Jesus is, it brings these two outcomes at least. One is grace. You understand as you understand what, who God is and what Jesus did for you, you begin to recognize how great God's grace is. The, the fact that you have a relationship with God is because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. 
He paid the price for our sins. There's nothing you or I can do to earn his favor or earn that position. So the more we understand about God's character, the more we understand of what Jesus did, we're just overwhelmed with grace. And I think order matters here. Because when we understand grace, we begin to live with peace. When we don't understand grace, we begin striving. We begin, I gotta do this on my own. I gotta gotta push through. I, I need people to recognize how hard I'm working. And then you don't really realize how much you've been saved from. And you're never at peace. So I think order matters here. Now, who we are in Christ. Uh, We've already seen some of this. So we too are servants. Um, Scripture uses the same uh, idea of us. In fact, in John chapter 12, Jesus speaking as he approaches uh, the end of his life. Um, And there was just some questions that were being asked. And Jesus is saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he's talking about, you know, truly as a grain of wheat falls the earth, it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he's talking about what's going to be the result of his death and resurrection. In verse 25, John chapter 12, he says this. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will, be, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Followers of Jesus are called servants. And Peter and Paul and their writings, they pick up on this and they address themselves as servants. Paul is a bond servant. And you go, you know, man, you're not a slave. But he, he recognizes his position under Christ as one who serves. And if Peter and Paul and the disciples see themselves as servants of Jesus, how much more should we? And I think when we talk about serving, I think we we get kind of muddled in our mind because those of you who have been around the church for a while, and if you've been around the church for a while, there's just ministries. There's things that we need to do. And so, you know, we need so many people uh, in the nursery, and we need so many people in children's ministry, and we need so many people in youth ministry, and ushers, and, and, you know, all the different things that go on here. There's There's so many things that we need to do. And so the pastor comes up and says, you need to serve Jesus. And so serving means what? where are you going to plug in? What's your job? But service here is not a position. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of who it is that you are serving and worshiping and following. Now, that leads us into doing things in the name of Jesus. But serving is much more of an attitude than it is a position. Second, we are reminded that we too are sent. 
Um, and I, you know, I'm sure Frank will really thank me later for this. The verses that I read about being sent out are not very encouraging. I send you out as a sheep among wolves. Now, I've never been to that fight, but I'm pretty sure I know what the, you know, wolves win every time. And so he pictures us in a position where we can't win. You say, if you say, oh, I'm just, Dave, I'm just not good at reaching out. I'm not good at outreach. I'm not good at leading a Bible study because I just don't have all the right answers. That's how God describes it. He says, you're pretty much in a losing position, except for this one fact. It's not going to be your words. It's going to be my words. And so as servants of Jesus, we are given the spirit of God to minister and, and be sent out in that power. And so I, I, we reminded, it's, nothing's going to happen at the Capitol. Nothing's going to happen at Evergreen. Nothing's going to happen at Hillsborough First Baptist Church unless we are submitting as servants to Jesus Christ. And he is empowering us to do the right thing. So we are sent. Third, we have hopefully obtained a faith. Those who have obtained a faith. Um, I hope you have committed your life to following Jesus Christ. Now, that's more than just knowing. Um, it's more than just praying a prayer. It's, it's more than just being baptized. It's about saying, this this is everything to me. That this is the only way. I'm going to put, I'm going to put all my faith in this. Now, I don't bet. People are asking me who I'm rooting for today. And I say, you know, I, well, you know, I don't know this guy and this side and this and you know, I, I'm just rooting that my, my brisket comes out well that's smoking at home. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know who the winner is. But if I, if I, if I had to, to pick one, I would say, well, I'm 53% confident. Knowing and having a faith means, no, I'm going to live as if this is 100% true. This is it. I'm trusting Jesus Christ and him alone. We have an equivalent. And I, I just, I hope that's encouraging to you this morning. That's a verse you should highlight in your Bible. I mean, what, what an introduction. I mean, you have a faith of equal standing with the Apostle Peter. Wow. I mean, just, just let that sink in equal. You have an equivalent faith. Now, we're going to talk about where that comes from in just a second. You have experienced, I hope, God's grace. That means in grace, right, we, we are given more than we deserve. 
We've experienced God's mercy in that we didn't get what we deserve. We've experienced this, this life that's not ours, but because God loved us so much and sent his son, we are, we are put into this, this new life. In, in our reading this morning in Romans, uh, he kept using this free gift, this free gift, this free gift, this free gift. It, that's grace. We've received God's peace. Now, I want to confess. Um, I love grace. And sometimes I struggle to receive that grace and move into peace. Um, and I wrestle with that sometimes. And going back to the devotional, that was part of what... Uh, one of the things that came out to me in my time of prayer and fasting is believing in God's goodness and walking in God's goodness. And that there's just peace at that. And um, for me, um, learning to, to just really realize that God loves me, that I have been redeemed, that I have been given the Spirit, that I have an inheritance. And I don't have to worry. Um, we're talking about who we are in Christ. You are a servant. You have been sent. Um, unfortunately, some have not gone, even though they've been sent. You've obtained a faith. It's equivalent faith. And sometimes you think it is sub-faith. You've received grace. And you kind of maybe get that. And you've received peace. But some of you, it's there for you. But you need to reach out and grab it, and walk in it. Now, pick up verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just read that again. It's, there's just a ton there. His divine power, Jesus Christ's divine power, okay, last name mentioned there, has granted to us some things that pertain to faith? No, all things. We, we have been given everything we need. Listen, Christian, some of you have been around the church a long, 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 long time, and it shows. And if you're waiting for that sermon, that class, that thing that's going to give you, just that, I've been waiting for it. I just want you to know whatever it is you've been waiting for, you, you done already have it. You've already received it. At the moment you became a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that you need, you have. You've been given everything, Peter says. Everything that pertains uh, to this, you, you already, what does this include? What does everything include, just so we know? that pertains, first of all, to life. Now, is he talking about eternal life here, or is he talking about my physical life, my walk with Jesus? What, is, what does Peter mean here? You know what? Don't make it more complicated than it is. You've, you've received everything you need for this life and the life to come. It, you have it. You say, but what about you have it? And godliness. 
everything you need to live a life of God. How could we have that already? Because we have the Holy Spirit. That prompting of don't do that, you already have it. That conviction of sin, you have it. That ability to communicate with the Father and get whatever that sin is dealt with, you have it. Now, some of you are going, I don't think I have everything I need for godliness. We're not pursuing it enough, folks. We've said godliness we can't obtain. And what Peter says is you've got everything you need for it. Now he goes on and says, through the knowledge of him who called us, right? There is a growing process there. And he says, uh, he's called us to his own glory. This isn't for you. It's for God and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. What does everything we need include? Man, very great promises. I, that's, I don't think that's very good English. Maybe that tr- it translates in the Greek. But let me just say to you, church, you have very great promises today. Sounds like a fortune cookie. (laughs) But it's beautiful. You have very great promises. We had a wonderful turnout uh, to Bob Stover's memorial service on Friday. And uh, one of the things I said, and sometimes I just say things off the top of my head and, and ramble, you know, people... People talk about, are my loved ones looking down on me? Are they, they're doing, Carmen has a very good article about that. You can, you can read the, the, the different things that we have ideas of and this idea of people looking down from heaven uh, on us. But, you know, I said, you know, is Bob looking down at this service to hear what you have to say? I said, you know, it's a little presumptuous that he doesn't have something better to do right now. He's in heaven. I mean, if he can carve out a minute, maybe he would, but I... I think he has better things to do because the promises of heaven are incredible. We, we have this picture that we're going to get there and we're going to be, oh, I wish I could go back. That's not the picture of scripture at all. I think people get to heaven and go, Man, I, wish, I should have eaten more carbs. I could have got here sooner. <laughs> Why are people saying red meat is bad? I mean, they're just going into heaven like, Wow. I'm sorry. So, we'll, take, we'll take that one off the tape. All right. So we have, we have everything that we need and these promises, these, these great promises. Now, look at what else he says here. This just, you have to listen to this. You have to receive this because you don't think it's true of yourself. But notice what he says. By which, verse four, by which you, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You've, what? Who you are now is not who you're gonna, now you get to, I'm not saying you become a God, please don't say that, that's not what I'm saying. But we get to partake in God's nature in a way that you can't apart from Christ. And then he ends with this beautiful, not ends, but he's building up here. Partakers of the divine nature, Jesus' death, his resurrection, we're gonna partake of his divine nature 
in just a few moments. We get to experience his divine nature. And he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. You've been rescued. Escaped. What a, what a picture here. Some of the things that we try to hold on to this, in this world, some of the things that we, we, we think, oh, I wish I had that. He's saying, no, you've, you've escaped those things. You've been rescued from them. I, I mean, I think I could just talk about this passage for weeks. Don't worry, I'm not going to. But we have been given everything we need for life, for godliness, for promises to experience the divine nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to be rescued from this world. What, what prompted Peter to write this? Well, we've, we've already seen that his death is coming. And so he wants to, he says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities through you, uh, that you are established. He wants to develop a faith in us that's established. Uh, some translations, stable faith. Um, look, our faith is what keeps us going through trials. Our faith is, is what keeps us going uh, as we get older and older and approaching. Or faith is what keeps us going when, when um, just, you know, life is hard or even when it's good. It, and it needs to be established. It shouldn't be a roller coaster. He, he says here, uh, he wants to remind us. In fact, he wants to remind us so much by way of remembrance that we could recall. <laughs> Okay, sometimes I want to remind you means I know that you've completely forgotten. But here, remind you means I want you to remind you in such a way that you can recall this on your own. And so he says that in verses 12 through 14, and he ends with that again with this idea of what he wants us to remember. Now, uh, he wants us also, another thing that, uh, and that word reminder, by the way, is, is eight plus times in this book, so it's, it's very prominent. The word knowledge, like over 10 times. He, he wants us to know. He wants us to, he wants us to grow in our understanding of who God is and what Jesus Christ has done. And I, I don't care how long you've been around. I think you can continue to grow in that. In another way that we grow is not just our understanding of it, but how we apply the gospel in everyday life. And fourth, he wants to strengthen us. And... Um, if you're looking at some of your versions might have in verse 12, therefore I intend to strengthen you uh, or uh, to remind you of these qualities that through them you may be strengthened. Um, here, uh, the ESV uses established, um, and I think that's really great. But the word strengthened, I think, is uh, there's just a really neat story behind that. And so uh, keep your finger here. And if you want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 22. So in, uh, in Luke, um, he is just recording uh, the last moments the disciples had with Jesus. They are in the upper room, uh, and he is sharing Passover with his disciples. 
and uh, he is going to institute the Lord's Supper, which I'll read in just a little bit uh, before we come to the table. Um, but the disciples being the disciples, there's also dispute among them about who's the greatest, and uh, Jesus deals with that. And uh, Peter is getting pretty, uh, pretty full of himself in all of this, and uh, Jesus turns to, see, to uh, Peter in verse 31. And he says, Simon, Simon. Uh, he's getting his attention. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. He is telling us about something that happened in the heavenlies. It reminds, reminds us of the words we read in Job. And uh, God says, look at, look at this great servant of mine. And Satan says, well, you put a hedge around him. And so uh, Satan is demanding here that the hedge around Peter be removed, in a, in a sense. Behold, Satan is demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, ooh, what does that imply? There was, there was a turning before. It's, it may not fail, but it's going to falter. And he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It's the same Greek word. Peter says at the end of his life, and I think he very much has this conversation in mind. He very much has his own rejection and denial of Jesus Christ. His failure, his restoration, his recommission by Jesus Christ, tend my sheep. And here Peter is tending the sheep. And he says, my heart's desire is that you be strengthened. Because that's what Jesus told me to do. And so I think implied in this, what prompted Peter to write this is so that you and I can know that we can fall and still get up. Like Peter, we will have those moments, the dip of the roller coaster, where we fall. But you can't remain there. Because like Peter, we can be built back up, sent back out. We've said it here many times. Christians are the only army that shoot their own wounded. It's so often when somebody falls in the church that they're not built back up, but they are put in a closet, hidden. And I just want to say, I don't want to be that person. I mean, you could, you could list your list of sins about which ones that are really bad, but I, you can think about all the ills of this day and you say, but if somebody does this, I don't want them serving in ministry. If somebody does this, I don't want them serving in ministry. I think if somebody steps away from Jesus Christ at the moment of his greatest trial, 
can look at somebody and say, I never knew the man. That sin has to be up there pretty high. That's a pretty big failure. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? I'm asking that of you this morning in your heart. Jesus is speaking to you. Do you love me? Now, there's many different commentators on that. Jesus asks him three times. He kind of repeats the question a little bit different ways, but Peter denied him three times. I think Jesus is saying, let's reestablish this. Three times you said you didn't know me. Do you love me? To you this morning, do you love him? Do you love him? Have you failed? Have you denied him? Have you sinned? Have you gone astray? Let me ask you one more time. Do you love him? Be strengthened and do what God's called you to do. Be a servant and be sent out. Some application and action this morning. I, I hope that you will look at obtaining an established faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, I don't know. I don't know if I have an established faith. I don't, I don't know if I've obtained that. Um, there's no magic formula. The question is, are you trusting Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation? Have you placed your faith in him? And I think our challenge for each of us every single day is to walk in light of who you are. Walk in light of who you are. And you have a faith of equal standings. You have all that you need. You have these great promises. You have, uh, get to share in this divine nature, experience this, you've been rescued. Walk in light of that. Look, some of you have fallen. And I, I've heard many of your stories. Some of you have fallen pretty hard. But please know that Jesus still loves you. And he is picking you up. You know, uh, when our kids are little, uh, you, can, you can watch it, your grandkids, right? You can see them running, and all of a sudden, you can, you can, just, you can fast forward it in your mind. You can see that their little legs are moving faster than their body is able to keep up with. And it's just a matter of time. You can't get there. They're going to fall. And what you do is you walk over there and you dust them off and you pick them up and you don't say, never run again. Of course not. We're going to let them run again. And as a church, let's be a church that lets people get back up and serve Jesus Christ. And let's celebrate that. We're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. Let's pray. And uh, Chris, are we singing first? I, I don't have the order for you. We're going to sing a song. And then after that, we're going to invite you to come up to the table. So let's, let's uh, pray. Lord, thank you uh, again for your word. And I'm just, I'm moved by these words of a, an established faith, of a, a faith of equal standing, of a faith of, of having everything that we need. And we just thank you for that. I pray that you would encourage those who have fallen, 
who struggle uh, with sin and, and feel like, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm growing. I don't know if I'm changing. And God, I just pray that you would, uh, in your presence, just encourage them this morning. Uh, remind them of your love, the grace that you've shown them. Help them to experience peace that only comes from you. And Lord, in, in a few moments as we come to the table, Lord, we thank you um, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, your death and resurrection. Uh, we thank you for the gifts that we have um, at the communion table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.